Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of scripture. 66 books and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly, how every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes. Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, the ultimate road trip through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours for a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456.
When Pontius Pilate told Jesus that he had the authority to set him free, Jesus said, you would have no authority at all unless it was given to you from above. Today on Something Good, Dr. Ron Jones reminds us that nothing we have is ours. We are stewards, not owners of our money, our time, our talents. And when we learn to use our resources God's way, we may be surprised by the results. Stay with us now or listen on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, His Money, Your Faith, here's Ron with today's message, Whose Money Is It Anyway? I want you to picture in your mind two roads that are parallel in nature. Two parallel roads and traffic on both of these roads is traveling in the same direction and you're traveling on both of these roads. The first one we'll just call financial freeway and the other one we'll call uh, faith highway. Financial freedom and faith highway. Again, you and I are traveling both of these roads. And I say they're parallel roads because most all of us were born and raised in the West. I'm not talking like West as in California versus East, like East Coast. I'm talking about in Western civilization, where we in the West tend to compartmentalize our lives. Now, people in in the East, in the Far East, see a more holistic view of life. They see the intermingling of different things. We in the West, we're good compartmentalizers. And we tend to compartmentalize at least these two areas of our life, our financial life and our spiritual life. And we're real good at that. And even if we are people of faith, traveling on faith highway, and we might have some sense that, you know, there's a a relationship between our spiritual life and our financial life, Uh, we kind of like this parallel universe that we live in. Because as long as we can keep our uh, faith life and our spiritual life separate from our financial life, uh, then then neither God nor anybody else can mess with my money and my finances. Now, what I've discovered over the years is that every once in a while, these two uh, freeways intersect. They come together. And usually when they do, it's when a financial crisis takes place. Anybody here experiencing a financial crisis as we begin the new year? Maybe you've discovered you have more month than you have money. Uh, maybe you've discovered that uh, there's, there's financial stress in your life and uh, you're, you're, you're struggling with that right now. Uh, your bills are piling up. Uh, You've got debt higher than a Montana sky. Uh, The bill collectors and the creditors are starting to call and annoy you every day and in every possible way, text messages, emails, phone calls, and the day or night. And, And it's not only causing stress in your life individually, but it's causing stress in your marriage as well. Did you know that still, still the number one cause of divorce today is money problems? Still the number one. And maybe you're experiencing some stress there in your life. But you've come to that place where you're willing to cry out to God because you've tried everything else to get your finances in order and to get this stress burden off of you. But you've come to that place where you're willing to say, God, is, 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 is there something you want 
to say to me here. Now, what I've discovered over the years is that while it's a crisis that often brings these two parallel universes together in our lives, once the crisis subsides, if it does, sometimes these two roads return, they just crisscross and they return to their, I'm not a very good artist, am I? But they return to their, their parallel universe. And we continue down the road in our Western way of thinking, uh, seeing no, no relationship between our financial life and our spiritual life. Or what happens is at the time of crisis, we learn some new things. And what comes out of this is a brand new multi-lane super highway on which we begin to travel where those who travel on this super highway put their old way of thinking about money behind them in the rear view mirror, and now open to them is this wide new vista where they get to enjoy and experience true spiritual and financial freedom at the same time, which is God's desire for us. This is my goal, is that we all uh, begin to merge our financial life and our spiritual life, and we begin traveling on the highway God wants for us, and that the defenses come down. Because again, I, I've, I've spoken on this subject many years uh, as a pastor and over the years, and, and, and I understand all the suspicions and all the defenses that go up, but what you need to understand is God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants you and me to experience true spiritual and financial freedom. And you can't be in financial bondage and spiritually free at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. So today I'm beginning this four-part series of messages titled His Money and Your Faith. And, and I really want us to just dive into what the Bible has to say about money and our finances. Somebody once counted up years ago that the Bible contains uh, somewhat uh, around 2,000, maybe 2,100 verses of Scripture on money, wealth, and finances and material possessions. That's a lot. That's a lot of editorial space in the Bible that God has dedicated to this subject. Compare that to about 500 verses on prayer and 500 verses on faith. And you get some sense that this is a really, really important subject. Jesus told a lot of stories. We call them parables. I think the last count I made, there were 38 parables in the Gospels. And 16 of the 38 parables have a money or stewardship theme to them. Because Jesus understood that one of the greatest threats to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his leadership in our lives is this thing called money. And that's why he said, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and mammon. Uh, e either one is leading and the Lord of your life or, or the other is, but you can't serve both. Now, my passion for this subject goes way, way back to my college days um, when I earned an undergraduate degree in financial planning. Um, I never really worked in the industry but, but that's where this, the seeds of my understanding and, and just becoming a, a personally, financially planned person started. And um, it also goes back to my childhood days when my, my grandfather on my mother's side was a very financially planned person. He grew up during the Depression. And it was a very hard time financially for a lot of people in our country. But uh, later in life, as he came out of that, he, he also became an accountant which means that's kind of a double whammy of financial conservatism, you know, and, and dotting his I's, crossing his T's, debits and credits and all that kind of stuff. So 
Now, my mother couldn't rub two nickels together and keep them for very long before she'd either spend it or, or give it away. And my dad had some financial issues in, in his businesses over the years. So I really didn't learn but negative patterns from, from my parents. Uh, but my grandfather provided a good example, and I learned some things in school. And that began my journey just to being a, a hopefully a personally uh, financially planned person. Uh, but like a lot of people, I graduated from college, got my first job, and that moved me from Fort Wayne, Indiana, which was my hometown, to New York City. <laughs> How about that? And I was like a hayseed in New York looking around at all these tall buildings, lost as a goose, but the company I worked for, their ho- corporate headquarters were in New York on Park Avenue, and um, I was there for four, five, six months of training before they they placed me at a regional office in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was the first time I, ra- I made real money. You know, up to that time, you know, hourly wages and, and uh, working this odd job. My brother and I, we, we uh, painted houses when we were in late high school and college. And, and you know, I just made a little money here, a little money there. But this is the first time I got a real paycheck. And I knew enough from my schooling and from my grandfather's influence that I needed to budget my money and watch my money. But you know how life goes, especially when, whoa, I got a paycheck. And I was making a whopping, I don't know, $21,000, $22,000 a year, okay? And it came time to buy a car. Now, everybody needs transportation. Uh, nothing wrong buying a car. But I went out on my $21,000, $22,000 salary, and I bought me a BMW, okay? I was a financial planning major, and here was the financial plan I was on. I call it the fake it till you make it plan, all right? (laughs) I was spending money I didn't have to buy things I couldn't afford to impress people who, ah, come on, they really don't care. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org and share your request, and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. While you're there, visit the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic to find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. Whether we know it or not, we all have a financial worldview, a way of thinking about money and where it falls in the pecking order of our lives. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Whose Money Is It Anyway? But I look good in that BMW. And my friends would look at me and go, what? Ron, Ron must be doing pretty good. Now my boss, he, he gave me a different look because he, he knew how much money I was making, right? Or not making. And he knew I was in way over my head and he, 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 he knew that this wasn't going to work out very well. And a little bit later, I came to a, a financial crisis in my life and here, here's how it came down. Um, I got up to work, go to work one day and I was in the corporate world at the time, you know, suits, ties, all that. And I walk into my closet and I realize that my suit that I was going to wear and my shirts and all that, they were there with the cleaners. And I forgot to pick them up the night before. So I get in my car and I drive down to the cleaners and I pick them up. And I'm coming out of the parking lot and I have to turn across, you know, two lanes of traffic to merge into two lanes this way, turning left. 
And I, you know, checked right and checked left. I checked again. Started merging out into traffic. Next thing I hear is the sound of screeching tires. It was 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, rush hour traffic. I look this way out the driver's side window and I see an SUV barreling down at me. And I must have just, just been moving forward enough and turning into the lane left that rather than T-boning me on the driver's side, he just, he just took off the back end of my BMW, okay? Which by that time in my life stood for broke my wallet, but <laughs> this, this was really gonna send me in a different direction. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. There were a lot of very upset motorists that morning in commuter traffic. <laughs> You know, wondering who was the idiot who didn't know how to turn, you know. Um, and I remember, you know, I had an auto insurance policy, as we all do, and it was, you know, fully covered and all that, the damage to the car and damage to the other person's car. But there's this funny little thing in those policies called a deductible, all right? <laughs> and my deductible was, I think, $500. But remember, I was on the fake it till you make it plan. And I didn't have $500 in my bank account to pay the deductible. By the way, did you know that 41% of Americans today do not have $500 in their bank account for such emergencies? And that's based on incomes that are above the federal poverty level. $500. I didn't have it. I was fake it till you make it. So I called my dad, who hadn't advised me to buy the car in the first place. You understand that, don't you? I mean, my dad loves to buy cars, and he's the only guy I know who can buy a used car and two years later sell it for more than he bought it. I mean, it's just amazing. It's a depreciating asset, is it not? Well, not to my dad. He's got an amazing way of finding deals out there. And I explained the situation to my dad and asked for some help, and he says, sure, I'll help you, son. He says, I'll, I'll loan you the money. <laughs> well, I wasn't looking for a loan, but I was in no position to negotiate. And it turned out to be one of the best financial lessons I learned as I painfully paid off my dad that $500 loan. But it wasn't the only financial lesson that I learned because God used this, this crisis in my life to uh, set me on a different journey, to, 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 to bring me to some important questions, uh, which is the question I want to ask today, and that is, whose money is it anyway? It was this experience, you know, more than 20 years ago that uh, took me into a deeper study and deeper understanding of what we might call biblical financial stewardship, a journey that always, always, always begins with the question, whose money is it anyway? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning from the pages of God's Word. Before we get into some specifics there… Every one of us has a financial worldview. You do know you have thoughts and ideas and uh, perceptions about money. Some of that might be shaped by Wall Street. It may be shaped by a book that you read or a financial guru that you listen to or a financial journalist that you listen to on cable television. Uh, you might have parents or grandparents who positively or negatively shaped your understanding of money. You might have gone to college like I did and you had a finance professor that taught you about money. Or maybe you learned your, your understanding of money through the school of hard knocks. However you learned it, 
because it's something we all interact with every day, consciously or unconsciously, we all have a financial worldview. And the tragedy is today is that financial literacy is at an all-time low. Most Americans don't know how to balance their own checkbook. And that's why 41% of Americans, quite frankly, don't have $500 in their bank account to deal with emergencies that come. And really, that's not enough to have for the emergencies that's probably coming your way in the next six weeks or six months. But we all have a financial worldview. And over the years, I've, I've summarized the different worldviews that I've come in contact with into, into four statements that I'd like for us to talk about this morning real briefly. And in your notes there, you can check the box next to the statement that best describes your financial worldview. The first one says, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. This is somebody who has an ownership worldview. I work hard for my money. Get your grubby paws off it, right? It's mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna, you know, make what I can, can all I get, and sit on the lid. That's, that's the idea here. What's mine is mine, and I'm gonna keep it. The second worldview says, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Now, that could be a thief. It could be a highly competitive business person who sees the money in your pocket or my pocket as theirs. They just need to make the sale. It could be a socialist government who wants to take your money and redistribute it. What's yours is mine, the idea here and I'm going to take it. The third worldview says what's mine is God's, and I'm going to share it. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're moving from an ownership mentality to a biblical stewardship mentality. Not what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it, but what's mine is God's and I'm going to share it. Or let's go to the fourth one, and this is more intentionally inside a marriage relationship. We'll change the personal pronouns here. What's ours is God's, and we're going to share it. That fourth statement is what Catherine and I call financial soulmates. Hey, husbands and wives, are you financial soulmates? Are you one flesh and one financially at the same time? Are, do you have the same financial worldview? And, and is it uh, informed by the pages of Scripture, such as you see yourself not as owners, but as managers and stewards of a sacred trust that God has given to you, uh, this thing called money? Now, some of you are here today, and you need your money baptized. Baptize them by, by immersing them in, in the principles of biblical financial stewardship. Starting with the question, whose money is it anyway? Think about your financial worldview today. Get a good handle on where you are right now. And then join us tomorrow to learn the three principles of biblical financial stewardship. Thanks for being here for today's Something Good radio message, Whose Money Is It Anyway? To listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, be sure to stop by somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org.
The prophet Jeremiah said, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for a man to direct his steps. Here, the ancient prophet of God had come to a settled conclusion in his life that even the very life that God had given to him, he didn't, he didn't own it. If you own it, you can do whatever you want with it. But when you come to that settled conclusion that neither my money nor my life belongs to me, even the direction of my life, it is not for a man to direct his own steps. Why? Because your life doesn't belong to you. It is, a, it is a trust given to you and given to me. And the questions about the direction of our life and all of that must, must always come back to, Lord, what, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to invest my life? What would you have me to do with it? That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Whose Money Is It Anyway? Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless. And thanks for listening.